Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about the Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays in Placentia, California at the El Dorado Performing Arts Center. Good morning. No. Do you remember how like the first couple of weeks there was clapping? Now there's kind of a slow, no, no, kind of a slow boo. It's like, oh, bummer. Such a bummer. All right, well, good morning. So we're glad you're here. At least I'm glad you're here. You may be wondering. I was here for Beauty and the Beast. You may have signed up for the show. And uh, nope, sorry. Unless my wife comes up and then we can reenact. Um, and that's my wife. Now, yep, yep, she's real. She exists. Uh, so uh, thank you to Bonnie, who was here last week. And, um, and we, were, we were away celebrating uh, 16 years of uh, legal matrimony, 14 happy years, um, 16 total years. So we're excited, excited about that. So welcome to Vox. It's, uh, it's, we run a tight ship. It's highly polished. There'll be smoke machines later. Um, we're really glad that you're here. If you're new with us uh, and you want to find out a little bit more about uh, what exactly is going on, you can go to voxoc.com right now. And uh, you can fill out an info form. We have something called a new to Vox dinner, uh, which is at our place. And uh, last Wednesday night we had barbecue. So I'm just saying... Uh, it's, a, it's a good time, and it gives you an opportunity to find out more about us. Also, well, good morning, Keith. Very, oh, really? <laughs> this is why I don't wear a kilt to our services. <laughs> All right, just for the record. I was tempted, but uh, figured. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, where was I with Keith before you so rudely sat in the front row? New to Vox Dinner, barbecue, thank you, my love. Um, one, of the, one of the very interesting things about our community is that we've got folks here uh, who are huge fans of church and huge fans of Jesus. We have folks here who are not huge fans of church and huge fans of Jesus. Uh, and we've got folks here who've been hurt by the church uh, and are just kind of tentatively making their way back. So the big, the big word that we always uh, give at the beginning of our service is just grace and the word permission. And so wherever you are, we're thrilled you're here. If you want to sit, you want to stand, you want to fall asleep, you want to whatever, we're totally okay with that. Um, if you're new to the church, we do some singing, and I know it's not normal. You walk into a room and start singing with people you don't know. Uh, but just think of the last concert you went to and how it was totally okay at the concert for people to sing songs and lift their hands and, and really get into it. So there's some fans of Jesus that will be doing that. You do not have to. Um, and I want to introduce you. Uh, this is this is Nia. Say hello, Nia. Hi. <laughs> hello, Nia. This is Vox. Hello, Vox. And um, so Nia is a uh, a worship leader. She is a recording artist. She uh, just was at for those of you Jesus folks. Uh, she just did a Beth Moore conference, and then she only thought the the only step up from like <laughs> thousands speaking to thousands of women at a Beth Moore conference is Vox. And so here she is. She said, you know, the only bigger platform I can find is this one. Uh, but we're thrilled uh, to have her with us. She's going to lead us a bit in some singing. But um, I don't know if you were catching the news coming in. 
We have another shooting in Baton Rouge. Um, seven officers shot, three killed by a gunman with an assault rifle. And, um, and, and so, I don't know about you, the last couple of weeks have been, are there kids in here? Okay, crappy. Okay, that's my upgrade from what I was gonna say. Um, it's, been pretty, it's been pretty ugly, right? So um, we're a community that deeply, deeply, deeply wants to carry the burdens and acknowledge the burdens of the world. And uh, so here's what I want to do. Um, whatever, however you want to spend a moment of silence, I want to give us a moment of silence. And then I'm going to pray um, for this situation, for what's going on in Turkey, for the, the, the terrorist attack in France, um, for the, the residual stuff that was happening from Dallas and New Orleans and, um, and Wisconsin, I think, or was it Minnesota? It was Minnesota. Um, and, uh, and then we'll get into some worship. And we thought we'd start, we usually start with teaching. We're going to start just with singing today because um, after bad news, one of the things the people of God have always done has been the call upon the name of this Jesus that we gather to celebrate and to be reminded of the good news that he represents and that this, this, this chaos doesn't have the last word over the world. And so um, I want to give you a moment of silence. So let's just go, go ahead and, uh, and be quiet for a moment. Then I'll pray and then Nia will lead us uh, in a few songs. Holy Father, I don't know if it's always been this bad or if, if, uh, if it's getting worse. Um, I don't know if, if it was, this stuff was always happening, we just didn't know. Um, or if social media has added an awareness that's almost overwhelming. Um, but I, I would imagine a few of us are, are, are so weary and sorrowful of, of just what's next, the next thing. We, we begin to grieve Orlando, and then it's two videos that show up on the internet, and then it's protests, and then it's shootings of police officers, and, and more protests, and, and it seems as if um, our world uh, is ready to devour itself. And so um, we gather today as people of hope and people of faith, and, uh, and we gather because we believe Jesus, that you are real and that you are the place um, where God has launched the Renewal of the World project. And, uh, and we want to be a part of that. Um, there is much fear in our world um, today. And these incidences just keep furthering that fear. And so, Father, we, we would love to see that replaced in our own hearts with the confidence that you are at work and a confidence that says, uh, that recognizes the bad things happen and that evil people do evil things. Um, and yet, uh, in your greatness, you can bring good out of evil. 
and that in your greatness, the end of the story is already written. And uh, so, Lord, today, help us to grieve well, but to grieve not as those who have no hope. Um, and so we acknowledge both sides of this. We lament another, another violent incident. And, and we lament all of the fallout about guns and about police and about people of color and all that's going to come. We just, we can predict it uh, and we hate it. And so, Father, we pray that you would renew us to be people, uh, in the words of Paul, who are ambassadors of reconciliation. We desperately need that, God, to overcome our own fear, to overcome our own prejudice, to overcome our own processing, to be people who embody good news. So we pray in the powerful name of Jesus for your protection over uh, those folks now that are uh, responding to the tragedy, for healing of the great divides that exist now in our nation around racial, political lines. And God, most of all, that your church would be a place that embodies the alternative. And, uh, and we would get over ourselves. And uh, we would put the beauty of Jesus on display. So to that end, Lord, we gather and we sing. Amen and amen. Yeah, take it away. Amen. 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 Thank you. I just kind of want to keep going. You know what I'm saying? A um, couple of thoughts. Uh, normally, uh, we start off with a, a bit of teaching, but today we wanted to start off with that in light of everything that's going on uh, in the world. Um, I want to say just a quick hello. So, so we started this little community out of a podcast, and, and so we have people coming from uh, a couple weeks ago, it was from Philadelphia, so he won the Commuter Award. Evidently, we have two people from Vegas here this morning. Where are you? Where are you? No, no, no. There you are. Hello, Vegas. Via Uganda, right? You guys were, you guys were in Uganda for a while? Yeah. Nice. And so, of, of course, where you go next is Las Vegas. I just, it's perfect. <laughs> the, their career path, we all would have written for you. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Um, so, so I've been watching, like you all have, uh, this interesting couple of weeks we've had together, and um, and I, I have a little a little um, bit of insight in the following respect. I, I serve as a police chaplain for uh, Fullerton Police Department, and uh, my dad was a, a police officer, a homicide detective, and so um, I have a great deal of sympathy, insight into how hard that job is and how hard that job is becoming. And then my brother, I have a younger brother who's 18 months younger, and if it's possible to be whiter than I am, he, he's see-through. I mean, he, it, thanks, Allie. Whatever, back at you, white. Yes, exactly. Allie's mocking me for being white, and if you looked at her, you'd go, hmm, pot and kettle, uh, the, the reverse. Um, anyway, so, so my brother married the most beautiful and the darkest African-American woman I have ever seen. And they've produced two of the, the most beautiful uh, children that you could possibly imagine. But um, hearing from him and, and you know, from her through him about what's stirring up in her family from Boston and about the fear she has for their kids and and, and you sit and you go, man, the, there seem like both sides are, 
are, are true to some degree or another. And so, not shockingly, uh, I, I see the scripture is really addressing some of what's going on in our world. And, and by the way, if you're here, you're not a huge fan of the Bible, you've seen the Bible used to hurt people, uh, you don't have to believe it's the word of God in order to see the wisdom in it. And so there is great wisdom when it comes to what exactly it was that Jesus began uh, when he was walking around on earth and why we gather in his name thousands of years later. Uh, but to get into this topic, I want to introduce you to two, uh, two incredibly wonderful words, sin and iniquity. And that was a joke. And, um, and so Bruce, go ahead and put Psalms up. There, there are two Psalms passages up, Bruce, if you got them. These words are used um, to, to say the same thing, but say the same thing differently. So, so one of the Psalms is, then I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. So they're similar because David's saying the same thing twice, and yet there's a, a nuance between them. Next Psalm, if you put it up there, wash away all my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. So in the Old Testament, sin is uh, the word it means to, to uh, miss the mark. It means to miss the target. Uh, it, it's the failure to live up to something. Uh, and this, the word sin in Hebrew uh, has to do with individual responsibility. So I did something that I'm responsible for and the consequences are mine. Okay? Now, the word iniquity, the wonderful word iniquity, has that meaning, and this is a little luxury, I'm sorry, but it's so, so important to understand this difference. The word iniquity has the same meaning sometimes, but at other times, and this is so important, refers to the momentum of the consequences of sin in a person's life or community. In other words, sometimes the scripture will talk about the iniquity of the parents being passed down to their children. So you take, uh, you take someone who's pregnant and addicted to meth. Her sin is the addiction. Her personal responsibility is the addiction. The fact that her child now will be born addicted to meth is the iniquity. The child didn't sin, but the child suffers from the burden of iniquity. Iniquity is the momentum of sin in a community. The idea is that sin just doesn't affect the individual. It affects the greater community. So the scriptures speak of these two things. Now, I want to tell a really weird Bible story to kind of illustrate this. And if you're wondering what in the world this has to do with anything, you will be in good company. And uh, every now and again, we say relevance is about 10 minutes away. All right. So, so stick with me. All right. The story I'm going to tell is one of the reasons, if you're not a fan of the Bible, this is one of the reasons why you're not a fan. Um, because it's terribly weird and confusing and ancient. And so here, here's the story. I'm just going to tell it, and then we'll read uh, a little bit about it. Here's the story. A man named Joshua. The people of Israel have been liberated from Egypt, and they're given something called the Promised Land. The Promised Land was inhabited by other people, and so the command goes out to Joshua, hey, you're to go and you're to capture the cities, and you're to kill the inhabitants, and, and you're to go, and I will demonstrate that I'm with you by how glorious and weird these victories are. 
So one of the victories is over a city called Jericho, where, remember, the people march around and blow trumpets, and then they take the city. I mean, right? This was all God kind of showing off a bit of his power and the fact that he was with these people. There's a group of people called the Gibeonites, and we're all familiar with them. No question. (laughs) The Gibeonites see the train coming from far off, that God is with these people, and so they approach Israel, the leaders of Israel, and here's what they do. They, they come up, and they dress as very poor people, and they pretend to be from a nation far off, and then they say to Joshua, hey Joshua, can we have a peace treaty with you? And they look destitute and downtrodden, and they look far away, and so Joshua says, yeah, in the name of our Lord, no harm will come to you. Well, three days later, they find out that it's a very prosperous nation and it's right next door. But because they made a promise, a covenant, to not harm these people in the name of their God, they can't touch them. Now, go ahead and put up uh, 2 Samuel. (laughs) Go ahead and put up verse 1. Maybe it's up under the, (laughs) there we go. (laughs) Now, this is 13 generations later. A a man named King, a man named King, a man named David (laughs) is King. A man named King is David. A man named David is King. And here's what the text says. During the reign of David, there was famine in Israel for three successive years. So David sought the face of the Lord and said, um, what's going on? The Lord said, it is on account of Saul. Saul was the king before David. It's on account of Saul and his blood-stained house. It is because he put the who? The Gibeonites to death. Next slide. The king summoned the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites, and this is, you know, you're dying to know this. The Gibeonites were not part of Israel, but were survivors of the Amorites. The Israelites had sworn to spare them, but Saul, the previous king, in his zeal for Israel, had tried to annihilate them. So here's what we realize. Joshua makes this treaty. Thirteen generations go by. A king named Saul says, I'm taking these guys out. I don't care what Joshua said. That is so grievous in God's eyes that they broke their promise made in his name that after Saul dies, there's famine in the land. And David goes, hey, why is there famine in this promised land? Well, it's because Saul broke the promise made 13 generations ago. Okay, now, you're like, dude, that is such a great story. Seriously, I, I, I totally see how it applies. This is great. We can say amen and go to lunch. Um... (laughs) I want you to see, there are four things I want you to see in this story that are relevant to the current situation in America. First one is this. In God's eyes, covenants and promises matter. And even though it was 13 generations, God still held Israel accountable for the promise that Joshua had made. In the scriptures, covenants are different than contracts. Contracts, we all are familiar with contracts. They're based on the vested interest of both parties that come into a legal agreement that when, when 
both parties no longer mutually benefit can be broken. Covenant in the, the scripture is a pledge of fidelity of relationship and faithfulness. And so God takes these very seriously. So even though 13 generations had gone by, God still held Israel to the promise they'd made. Point number one. Point number two. The Bible doesn't see groups as merely collections of individuals. It sees groups as having an identity all their own. So marriage. Marriage. Two people get married, how many things exist in a marriage? Two people, but then there's a third thing, namely the union between the two. In other words, marriage isn't just the coming together of two people, it's once two people have come together, it creates a third thing, namely the joining of the two. So. In the New Testament, well, in the, in the whole Bible, there's something that exists called corporate solidarity. I know, I know, guys, I know this is thick, but it's coming. It's coming. It's the idea that, that an individual represents the whole. So Christians will say, Adam sinned, and his sin affected everybody. And that's because the scriptures teach we're in Adam. Adam was our representative. He sinned. Everyone sinned. Christians will say, well, if you're in Jesus, Jesus was righteous, fulfilled the law, therefore, if you're in Christ, you're righteous. The idea is that the leader, the head of the group, speaks for the group. So when Saul broke the covenant, all of Israel was guilty, even though it was Saul's issue. Make sense? Okay, and this still, thank you. If you're awake in 10 minutes, I'll be thrilled. No one will blame you if you're not. Third point. It's the difference between sin and iniquity. Did David or the Israel of that day make the promise 13 years ago or 13 generations ago? No. Did they, were they the ones that had tried to annihilate the other, the other tribe? No, that was Saul. That was a different king. And yet... Even though they had not committed the sin, there were still consequences that they carried. In other words, they carried the iniquity of the sin of Saul. They didn't carry the sin of Saul. Does that make sense? Because here's what people ask me sometimes. Listen, I don't own slaves. I'm not racist. Why do I care about what's happening in the world? Why do I have to say black lives matter? Why do I have to be aware of what's happening? I'm not responsible for what happened. And into that world, the scriptures would say, you may not have been guilty of the sin of racism, but you bear the iniquity that has been passed from generation to generation of that sin. This is why this matters. We may not have individually sinned, but the iniquity and momentum of centuries of slave owning, of going to Africa and ripping families apart, of jamming people into ships like sardines so there was up to a 50% mortality rate, 
of raping the women and selling the people in the new world as meat and product. Then we segregate, you give pro-laws. I mean, the whole thing. Was I, I wasn't even alive for this. And yet, there is a momentum and an energy that exists in our culture that the scriptures say, even if you were not guilty of the sin, we still bear the consequences of the sins of our forefathers. We still bear and have to deal with the iniquity. And so you and I, because I, I mean, I, I hear this from my, my white friends. Why do we, why do we have to care? Why, why can't we just say we don't see color and leave it at that? The issue with iniquity is it doesn't go away by itself. In fact, it gets magnified the longer it goes. And so in the scriptures, the scriptures invite us into the recognition that, okay, I may not have contributed to the sins of my forefathers, yet I still bear the iniquity. And so when I observe what's happening in our world, what am I observing? Well, certainly there's a a boatload of sin to go around in every direction. But even deeper than that, there's this thing that's been handed to us that we now carry the weight of. Now, this was all introduction to what Jesus does and how Jesus is beautiful in the midst of this. All right, so if you have a Bible, go to the book of Luke. Luke, that's right. Darth Vader's favorite book, of course. I know, I know. You're like, some of you are literally thinking, that was intro. And you're thinking, okay, maybe if I go to the restroom, I don't have to come back. Uh, if you have a Bible, great. If a phone, great. If not, we'll put it up on the screen. Luke chapter 6. So Jesus, the beautiful Jesus, shows up into a world where there was tons of racial division, tons of iniquity, tons of sin. And he gathers around himself... 12 men. Now they had to be men. It's not because he did not adore women, but because he was reformulating Israel and Israel was made up of 12 sons that became the 12 tribes. So in a symbolic way, Jesus needed 12 men. And it's really interesting who he chose for this. These are not the religious all-stars. These were not the elite. These were not folks that had it together. These were screw-ups, and these were, these were commoners. These were, these were folks that the rabbinical schools didn't see much potential in, so they were just back working at their father's trades. But we get a list of these, and, and this is part of the Bible that you just skip. And I don't blame you, but there's something good in here. Luke chapter 6, verse 12. One of those days... Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples. Now, this was a large group of students that Jesus had with him. He called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them whom he designated apostles. Apostles, uh, the word just means an emissary. So he designated 12 out of this larger group. Now, Simon, and here we get the list, and guys, this is so fun. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Bartholomew, Matthew. Now, who's Matthew? Do you remember? Yeah, if you're you're not new to the Bible, you know Matthew's a tax collector. And tax collectors 
were hated. We've talked here, if you've been here for however, what number of service is this? Eight? Ten? And we still don't know what we're doing. So we've talked about tax collectors. Tax collectors, so, so here's what a tax collector was. A tax collector was someone who was Jewish, who had sold themselves out to the Roman occupying force in order to collect taxes from other Jews. So if you were a fisherman, some of these guys were fishermen, you would literally come to the shore with your catch and the tax collector would be right there to take a portion. But here's the problem. They could take however many they wanted to. So if they were required to take 10%, they could take 20%, and you couldn't vote them out of office. They had the power of the Roman army behind them. So you hated tax collectors. You hated them. They were part of the reason that most of the country was poor. They were part of the Roman oppressive system, all right? There was a group of people dedicated to assassinating tax collectors. They were called zealots. And though they weren't an official party at this point in Jewish history, they become one. They, they were known as dagger men because they carried around these short swords and they believed that war with Rome was coming and that's how God was going to deliver the people. All right? Zealots hated, the only people the zealots hated worse than the Romans were the Jews that helped them. So, here's Matthew a tax collector, and then the list goes on. Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the what? Oh, that's interesting. So Jesus collects. It'd be like saying, okay, let's get, let's get someone from ISIS and let's get someone from Israel together and follow Jesus. Let's get, let's get President Obama and let's get Donald Trump in a room together. Let's get, I mean, take the two extremes of our world that's what you would read when you would read that list. So let me get this straight. A tax collector and someone dedicated to assassinating them. That's the list. And then some fishermen and, I mean, just some common folks. And then there's a guy named Judas the traitor who ends up betraying. So <laughs> this, I mean, if you're building a resume, right, this is not the way to do it. But here's what's so fascinating. Jesus was so beautiful that whatever he was doing in the world was so powerful that a zealot and a tax collector were willing to be redefined in light of his beauty. See, go ahead and put up the slide where Jesus is loving on all kinds of people. Like we could take the rest of the year to just look at the kinds of people that Jesus loved, the kinds of people that Jesus welcomed, the kind of people that Jesus healed, the kind of people that Jesus are putting on the slide right now. <laughs> it's been an ongoing. So let me just give it to you verbally. <laughs> so, so when you look at the life of Jesus, any division and classification that existed in the first century, he went across it. So Jews weren't supposed to associate with Samaritans. Here's a Samaritan. Jews weren't supposed to associate with Romans. Here's a Roman centurion. Here's somebody who's demon-possessed. Here's a leper. Here's somebody who's deaf and blind. Here's somebody that, that's mute. Here's somebody that is unclean. Here's somebody that should never be touched who touches Jesus. I mean, the beauty and majesty of this guy, the reason, the reason 
a movement took hold in the first century. It was because nobody transcended the boundaries the way that Jesus did. So once Jesus dies and his followers begin to explode throughout the Roman Empire, later followers will reflect on this. There's a book in the New Testament called Ephesians. Go there if you would. Ten more minutes. Ten more minutes. And this is actually going to be the good part, maybe. That's Allie. Okay, this is Allie's son. And that's my water. You're not sweating. You're not working. Some of you are like, this is a church. Really? This? I see why they don't advertise. <laughs> I wouldn't either. Oh. Ephesians chapter 2. So there's a man named Paul, missionary in the first century, who is Jewish. And pa- <laughs> Yeah, good try. So there's a man named Paul. Paul's Jewish. Paul, as a missionary, is planting churches all throughout Asia Minor. The biggest division that Paul dealt with in his day, it wasn't black and white. It was Jew and non-Jew. Jew and Gentile was the phrase. Jews and Gentiles hated each other. There were all sorts of derogatory slang they used towards each other. Paul was very zealously a Jew who was now tasked by God to reach non-Jews in the, just a great irony. And Paul's reflecting on what Jesus has done in gathering around himself a people who divide all racial lines who cross all racial lines, excuse me. Notice verse 14, Ephesians chapter 2. For Jesus himself is our peace, who made the two groups one, Jews and Gentiles. He made them one group and destroyed, destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Now, this is the, the beautiful part. His purpose was to create in himself. His purpose in reconciling Jew and Gentile was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. In other words, the work of Jesus wasn't just to reconcile people to God, it was to reconcile people to each other. This isn't secondary, this isn't optional, this isn't an add-on, this is the outworking of what it means to be reconciled with God is that you reconcile with other people. And the biggest division that existed in the first century was between Jew and non-Jew, and Paul says the work of Jesus is so magnificent that God's intention in Christ was to actually create a new humanity. The one place in the world where people who have nothing else in common gather. That's it. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've come from, what you've done, or what you call yourself. This church, this fledgling movement, was to be the one place where any other designation that characterized and defined you was now secondary to the designation of being a follower of Jesus. That's the revolution that Jesus inaugurated. And that's what the world is waiting for the church to do. Right? Because we're not going to policy our way out of this. We're not going to politically correct our way out of this. We're not going to cover it over or band-aid it. This is a deeply, deep 
deeply rooted spiritual issue where literally we are carrying the iniquity of the sins of our forefathers. That has to be dealt with. And the work of Jesus includes not just forgiving sinners, not just reconciling us to God, but it includes this thing that we call reconciliation. This isn't a liberal thing. This isn't a democratic thing. This isn't a politically correct thing. This is deeply rooted in the justice in the heart of God thing. This is what he does. And this is what the world's waiting for, is the demonstration of a new humanity where people who have nothing else in common. See, old humanity is when people who are just like each other hang out. Right, how easy is that? White people hang out with white people, black people hang out with black people. That's easy. It's easy when middle class people hang out with middle class people. It's easy when Republicans hang out with Republicans and Democrats hang out with Democrats. That's, that's easy. Easy when straight people hang with straight people, gay people hang with gay people. That's easy. Right? And, and our world facilitates that. It's, none of that, though, is the new humanity. The new humanity is only found when people who have nothing else in common gather together and put aside their differences because their differences have been relativized now under the allegiance they have to Jesus. That's what we're talking about. Now, I'm desperately waiting for some sort of feedback because we've been like, it's a slow build to that precise point, right? I mean, that's, I've, I maybe numbed you. No, 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 I mean, okay. Now, Andy was supposed to bring out a whiteboard. <sighs> so that was point one. How do you do this? How do you do this? Here's one way I'm trying, all right? I know you can see this. It's very large. Mike Erie. The belly, right there. And some muscles, right there and a sprout or two. <laughs> now, think of all the ways Mike Erie is identified. Okay, so first, last time I checked, I'm a human being. So in part, there are many kinds of beings. I'm a human one. Within the class of human beings... I am a male human being. W within the class of human beings, not only my male, I am a white human being. <laughs> there are certain markers that you look for, and they're all true. <laughs> Chad. Within white male human being, and there are more of these that are true, but I'm an American. And within the branch of Americans, grew up in the great state of Ohio. 
So I am godly. No, I am Midwestern. I'm a Midwestern American. None of you liberals out here on the left coast. Not only that, middle class, Midwestern American. And then there's this particular branch, Erie, that that last name, good Lord, was something else when my parents, my grandparents immigrated. And we have no idea what it is. So they, they shortened it to E-R-R-E. We lived next to Lake Erie, and they didn't have any idea to pronounce it. So Erie is how, what they started calling it, believe it or not. I know you were interested. Now, I'm a descendant of the Gibeonites. Now, how many of these things did I choose? Zero. Now, there's a whole bunch of ways I identify that I, I've chosen, correct? So, uh, pastor, um, uh, Christian. There's a whole bunch, and, and there are more that I didn't choose, right? We could have all sorts of interesting conversations about sexuality, whatever. But here's how I've begun to think about what it means to be a new humanity. These are all of the ways that I can identify myself, correct? And what I've been learning over the course of the last 10 years is that in the fallen and corrupt system that we live in, many of these have been privileged. Right? To be a man is to be safer than to be a woman in our world. To be an American, to be middle class, right? I mean, to be white. And it doesn't diminish the good that's in all of these to admit that there's bad in all of these too. Not only that, the invitation of the scripture is to lay every one of these things down next to the invitation to be identified as one who is in Christ. Do you understand that? The new humanity is the laying down of all of these corrupted ways of identifying myself and to pick up the one way. I was lost and now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. My allegiance is to Jesus. Not only is the invitation to lay this down, the invitation, Bruce, go ahead and put 2 Corinthians up there. The invitation is to no longer look at people through this lens at all. So notice, Paul's writing. He says, this is St. Paul, different church. From now on, we regard no one from a what? From a worldly point of view. So what's a worldly point of view? This is a worldly point of view. All the labels, all the divisions, all the classifications, all the ways we define and delineate ourselves from each other, that's a worldly point of view. And then he says, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation, the new humanity has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Next slide. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Put Galatians up, if you would, Bruce. We're keeping you, we're keeping you jumping around up there. St. Paul, different church. So in Christ Jesus, you who are children of God through faith, for all of you who are baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. Next. 
There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. What's the worldly point of view? The worldly point of view is this, to look at me and to look at you by this. Now, I'm not saying that in Jesus, I'm no longer white, American, Midwestern. No, no, those things are still true. It's not appropriate for white people to say they don't see color. God sees color and loves it. Heaven, as it turns out, will be a place where they speak more than English. And we'll find out that Jesus looks oddly Palestinian. <laughs> It'll be shocking. It'll be shocking. It'll be shocking. And, and every tongue and tribe and nation will gather. And if you're not practicing that now, do you realize heaven could be a bit uncomfortable for some people? When you look across the table and go, oh, I didn't realize you were here. No, seriously. I mean, well, that's a whole different sermon. Now, so here's what I want to do this morning. And I know this has been long. and I know it's been luxury. And I don't know how it works for you. I don't know how it works for you. One of the ways that God has been working on me has been to say, these are all ways of identifying myself that will perish with the world. None of those is lasting. So what if I lay those down and pick up the idea that there's a new humanity being created? So first... It's laying it down for myself. Secondly, it's insisting that I don't look at other people this way. Right? But thirdly, it's the recognition that if I were to write one of these for someone born in the inner city, for someone who immigrated from Mexico because they couldn't feed their family, for somebody somewhere else who's been unbelievably marginalized, that whole list... Is, is going to result in a different prequel than the prequel I was handed, correct? So the invitation, men and women, isn't to be politically correct and it's not to be pro this candidate or against this candidate. Policies aren't going to solve this thing. What's going to begin to solve it is a group of people who have ceased finding their life and worth and meaning in any of these designations. Because the minute you're committed to finding life and worth and meeting in one of these, you'll feel threatened when it's questioned. And you'll defend. But if you're not finding life from any of these, I can say Black Lives Matter. I don't have to counter it with any other thing. I can say Latino lives matter. I don't have to, I don't have to add to that. I can say blue lives. I can, if I'm free from all finding life in all of these ways of designating myself, if it's true in Christ, there's either slave or free or rich or poor or Republican or Democrat, all the ways we define. And notice what the church does. The church classically has just put all these back up again. So we got Catholic, we got Protestant, Right? We, we've got Calvinist, we've got Armenian, we've got Presbyterian and Anglican and Methodist and Baptist, and people identify with those terms first. Right? So instead of the oneness that Jesus said, the world will know us because of our love for one another, no, 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 we just spend all of our time erecting this again in a Christianized way. So there is some deep repentance the church must go through to deal with the iniquity 
of years of sin that we've been complicit in to serve its prophetic salt and light function. We each must cease finding life in these ways and find life in the only designation that now is of significance in Christ. So you have a little piece of paper, correct? Well, you came late. I bet it's hard. I bet it's hard. Who lost the keys? Jack lost the keys. Chad, look at Chad. Thank you, Chad. So I want you to take a piece of paper. Nia's going to come back. And I want you to answer two questions as you approach the table. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to sing some more songs, and then the service will be over. We invite you to uh, respond in a number of ways. The first way is to take this sheet of paper and to write your own. Write one for you. And then ask yourself the question, what's the one that gives you the most life and feels most threatened right now? And what's the one that, that you use to judge others? What's the, what's the ring that someone else doesn't have that you use to judge others? So it could be a race, it could be a class, it could be a status. What's the group, if there's a they, the Democrats, the supporters of Donald Trump, illegal immigrants, the LGBTQ community, the non-affirming community? I mean, first question what are the ways? What's this look like for you? Second question, is there any one of those that give you life and worth in ways that cause you to feel threatened in the world? And then thirdly, how do you use this to judge others? And if nothing comes to mind, okay. You're either in denial or... No. But part of the new humanity is acknowledging this, confessing, repenting, and no longer looking at each other from a worldly point of view. So I have to get over my hatred of hipsters and skinny jeans and coffee snobs. It's tough, it's tough, Andy. I publicly confess to you that Coors Light is the king of beers. Now. Sorry, that's a podcast inside reference. When you're done with that, and you don't have to do this, um, when you're done with that, we want you to bring it up to the table. We have communion stations. Which one's gluten-free? <sighs> yep. So that one's gluten-free, and we love you gluten-free people. Um, we have a special station just for you. Uh, but that's all we're doing. That's all. <laughs> you're on your own for everything else. Um, we have other communion stations. Now, part of taking the bread and the cup, it is the commitment to the new humanity. Because last I checked, there is no male, female, slave-free, Jew, Greek, Republican, Democrat coming to the table. There's just hearts and stories that come to the table. So this is a symbol of the unity because all across 
the world, millions of people are taking the bread and the cup today in honor of this Jesus. So we invite you to do that. If you want to financially give and worship and practice generosity, we have giving boxes, participation boxes, we call them around the room. Or there'll be people up here who um, would love to pray for you. But now we just kind of let people go into whatever they want to go. If you want to respond, great. If you don't, great. Let me pray. Andy, you remember this part right here? Yeah. Okay, I, I did it. A little banter? I needed some banter? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Lord Jesus. I come before you as uh, the biggest sinner in the room and uh, in the recognition of the darkness in my heart and the ways in which I find life and meaning and worth apart from um, my identity as your son. And, uh, and so, Father, we want to repent. We want to confess um, for those who are of the marginalized communities in our world. We pray that you would give them the grace to name, to acknowledge the iniquity that's been passed on. And at some point, Lord, by your grace, give them the grace to forgive. Father, for us, uh, for the rest of us, we pray that we would begin to embody this new humanity. That there's a sense in which, God, we want to we make Jesus beautiful. And one of the ways we do that is we simply refuse to play by the categories of the world. And so, Father, guide us in this, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Let's thank Nia. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, my goodness. So, so much better than Beth Moore. So much better than Beth Moore. Come on. Um, brothers and sisters, I invite you to stand. Oh, oh, I just waited till you sat down. Um, if you want to find out more about us, voxoc.com. If you want to leave us some feedback, feedback at voxoc.com. Uh, we've got some stuff out on the tables uh, that you could fill out, an info card and stuff. Those go in the participation boxes. Nia's got some music out uh, under one of the canopies. If you're interested in that, I encourage you to take advantage of that. And then um, we're so thrilled that you would be with us uh, this morning. I want to pray for you and bless you as you go. Thank you for looking interested for most of the service. <laughs> At least the, f the first few rows. Couldn't tell. Anyway. So, Lord, we ask that you would send us um, into the world as bearers of good news as ambassadors of reconciliation um, who are increasingly reflecting the beauty and the majesty of Jesus of Nazareth, who uh, was able to transcend the, all the lines and the visions of his day. May we be people who begin to look and act and think and feel like him. And God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would go with us in this, that you would bless us, protect us, keep us, turn your face towards us, and above all, you would give us peace in these days. We bless you. Amen and amen. Go in grace. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Box Community Podcast. Participate in the Box Community at boxoc.com participate.